0: Welcome to the Proctor Podcast Series, presented by the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program at the University of Florida. Founded in 1967, SPOP is one of the largest oral history programs in the country, with nearly 5,000 interviews. SPOP, one community, many voices.
1: Hello, and welcome to the SPOP Podcast Series, Voices from the Archives. I'm your host, Johanna Mellis. We'll be sharing interviews that include many powerful stories from farmworkers, community organizers, and activists discussing the challenges facing farm communities. These interviews demonstrate how people who do such important work are profoundly and easily overlooked by US society. This compilation features three student podcasts from Aaron Conlin's summer 2013 undergraduate oral history class. Aaron, then a graduate student and now an assistant professor of history at Indiana University of Pennsylvania led the class to Apopka, Florida, just outside of Orlando to conduct interviews in collaboration with the Farmworker Association of Florida. These student podcasts helped to showcase some of the most powerful aspects of oral history, not just relaying facts about the past, but also people's reflections on how the meanings of that past have changed for them over time. Our first narrator, Maria Ledesma, was interviewed by James Thompson on July 22, 2013. Her parents moved from Mexico to Florida when she was nine to follow farm work. She recalls being both proud of how hardworking her parents were and ashamed amongst her peers at school to admit what their jobs were. Here are Ms. Ledesma and James with her story.
2: This is James Thompson, and today we are going to hear about the life of a farm worker. In today's society, the farmworking industry is at the center of debates on immigration and the economy. Amongst the debates, the farm worker's voice seems absent from discussion. And today we are going to hear Mariela Desma's side of the story. Did they ever talk to you about work or what was it like being the daughter of farm workers?
3: Uh, uh well, it was, I mean, see them work hard. I mean, being, being in school, like a lot, of, a lot of the kids will like say, oh, your parents pick up oranges. They don't, they're not educated. It was a shame, a little shame.
2: How did that make you feel?
3: Um, it made me uh, a little bit ashamed like <laughs> shame, but also proud because they work hard. They were hard. They, I mean, they provide the food to our table. So, but it was a little like when you're a teenager, like you would like to have your doc- parents' doctors, not instead of agriculture.
2: This mix of shame and pride only begins to scratch the surface regarding the difficulties of a farm working family. And often, many sacrifices had to be made to support a family of eight kids. Yes, on, um, it
3: was hard. I used to like I was the mom. <laughs> really, I am the third of the third girl. Uh, yeah, and um, I have two oldest brothers, but I was the oldest girl, so I would mm. I would be the one who would, like come from the responsible my, one. <laughs> responsible on my little ones and my sisters and stuff. Yeah, mm. it was, uh, and then because sometimes my mom would come very late, so when I When she will come, I will have already the food ready for them and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was being a mom.
2: (laughs) Do you think that was hard on you? or do you? It was very
3: hard. It was very hard. Like
2: part of your childhood was kind of taken because of that? Yes. With parents logging long hours, children were required to take on heavy responsibilities at a young age. Instead of worrying about homework, they had to face real-life issues and often at the expense of education.
3: Not a lot of family. I mean, my, my, like my mom pushed me. My, my dad wanted me to work. Like my dad, uh, <laughs> he wanted me to keep working and helping them and stuff. But uh, I don't think uh, there's a lot of family. They don't, they don't care. I mean, they don't push their kids to go to work. I mean, they think that they're going to get married and they, they, it's not necessary to get education.
2: But children weren't the only ones affected. Adults suffered from lack of knowledge as well. Especially regarding their safety in the workplace,
3: because my parents never like they went to school, but they don't they didn't finish middle school or high school they didn't really find information they I know they had headaches and stuff, mm-hmm. but I never knew that like we never knew where the headaches come from and we now that I'm learning a lot of things from pesticide, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of a lot of their issues a lot of their skin rashes was because of the pesticide that they use. Picking Mm -hmm. oranges.
2: This lack of protection and focus on education leaves farm workers struggling, and it is unknown to the majority of Americans who take their work for granted.
3: I would like people to know, like, how does the farm workers work really hard? Like, as as a growing, as a picking up the fruit, and a lot of people, they don't consider when they're eating they don't know what they come from who worked with them who worked with having their fruit in the middle of the table who worked and um I would like them to know how like people to know how does the product came came up you know to grow how does how did, who worked and how did that person get paid here yeah, because a lot of the I mean, agriculture we don't get paid they don't get paid you know and so that I would like to know people to know how hard it was to do that job
2: Farm workers provide a necessary service to all Americans, and it's time that they receive the recognition they deserve. Farm work is nothing to be ashamed of. It is a job that deserves credit and respect. So next time you take a bite out of that apple, remember Maria and her story, and help be a voice for those who have long been ignored.
1: Education plays a major role in Maria's narrative. Her mother insisted that she get an education, although she's careful to note that many farm workers' children are not so fortunate. But later in life, education helped her to realize that her parents' lifelong ailments and illnesses probably resulted from exposure to pesticides and harsh chemicals. Our next interview was conducted by Clara Edwards, who interviewed Betty Jean Debose on July 11, 2013. Betty Jean Debose was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, but raised in Apopka starting at the age of six months. Growing up in a farmworking family was demanding. When asked about favorite childhood memories, Ms. DuBose explains that she mostly remembers having to work. She remembers her experiences in farm work as being very much like slavery, earning poor wages while, as she describes it, putting food on America's table. Here are Ms. DuBose and Clara with her story.
4: Hello, my name is Clara Edwards, and I will be your host today. I will be discussing the story of Betty Jean DuBose. Today, Betty is going to tell the story of her life as a farm worker in Apopka, Florida. Betty began working on the farms at the age of eight years old and worked until the farms in Apopka closed in 1996.
5: What were some of your fondest memories growing up in Apopka?
6: Well, I had to work all the time. What age did you start working? Well, I started working in Alabama at the age of eight years old, picking cotton. And come down here and age of, Come back down here when I was ten. We used to go back and forth. You know, my was go back and forth. My leave my dad and go used to go back to Alabama and come back. And I come back. We come back in ten years, in 1965. When I was ten years
4: old. In the next clip, Betty gives insight to the day-to-day life of the people who feed America. And how these particular workers distributed labor and received
5: their pay? How many hours a day would you say that you worked? Well,
6: sometimes, sometimes you didn't work with two or three hours, cause what order did you had to walk by, work by orders? Okay. Now, if you if you need, I don't know, how many crates he need for us to cut. And so we sometimes we worked five and six hours if he had
5: a big order. Okay. Sometimes three or four hours if you had a small order. So let's say you were you were cutting romaine. They only needed you know a mm, small so many, order, small so many boxes. So would you get paid by the box, by the hour, boxes, by the box,
6: by the box? What what we did? Everybody, we had a crew. Everybody cut together. We cut and they packed, and then we we all what we make we split it down between each other. Okay,
5: and' we're no separate stuff. We all make the same thing. Mm-hmm. You just work collectively. all us work together. So if you had a small order, you get paid by the box, you could be done earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. What would you do financially if there weren't any bigger orders coming in? That's it. You just had to wait. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Here, Betty describes the financial burdens of farm work.
5: Um, some people would say that farm work is, um, an extension of slavery.
6: (laughs) When we work, we feel like we was in slavery. Yes.
5: You would agree with that? Yes. And as far as wages went, how do you feel compared to maybe other occupations or maybe regulated farms, government farms. How do you feel that you were paid? Poorly. Poorly. And your peers were also paid Poor, poorly? Poorly. Yes. We
6: were just working on farm, paid about nobody. Worked. The little money we worked, oh God, we worked hard, put food on america's miracle's table.
4: While Betty and many other workers were in the fields, pesticides were being sprayed on them from airplanes above, a technique known as crop dusting.
6: Yeah, because, you know, the chemicals, we worked in those chemicals. We, were, we worked in the fields, and and when they, when, they, when they, they, they didn't spray the spray at night or nothing like that, they sprayed that spray right on top of us.
5: And when you say spray, do you mean the crop dusting mm-hmm. or was it... This... Chemicals. And how would they spray it?
6: With the airplane.
5: Okay. And were you aware that it was chemicals coming through the plane? No, we know. You look know, at this stuff sticky all over you, we know what it was. And how often would you say that happened? Weekly? Oh, uh, I said about every few days. About every few days. Every few days, the planes mm-hmm. would come.
4: Mm-hmm. Here. Betty tells the heart-wrenching story of health effects she and her family have suffered from exposure to pesticides used in the fields.
6: Red did dead in the fields but the pesticide was. It was a hot spot of DDT there. How has it affected you? Well, I, well, I uh, I've got diabetes, back problems, and I had open-heart surgery because of
5: the chemicals I worked in. How old were you when you had an open heart surgery?
6: I was, I had it in '98. I'm 59 years old, about almost 15 years ago.
4: Most of Betty's family also experienced adverse health effects suspected from exposure to pesticides. Betty's father worked in the fields as a crew leader, later dying of cancer.
6: My dad worked right in the fields, and you no, know, he to load that stuff. My dad died at the age of 51 years old. 51?
5: And what were the causes? He were it with cancer. Do you recall what, what types of cancer or what type of... Yeah, thank cancer.
4: While pregnant, Betty was forced to work in the fields to feed her family. Here, Betty discusses her time working while pregnant and the devastating aftermaths of her work.
6: I had to go to work. And then I am working my kids, I got five. You know, I didn't tell you about this. I had two stillborn babies in the fields. I didn't tell you about those. You said eight? I had eight kids. I got five living. And one of my twins died. But I had the, first, the first two kids I had were stillborn. I worked in those fields while I was pregnant. And them chemicals.
4: Betty serves on the board of the Florida Farm Workers Association, lobbying for the rights of farm workers. Betty discusses the time she spent in Tallahassee representing the Farm Workers Association.
6: We we traveled to Tallahassee a lot to fight about what kind of chemicals we had rights. We had enough food. about the chemical they were using in those fields, and it was hard for us to get a bill on that that passed. And so we had the thing about the rights, but we let it, had let it went out. You know, I mean, we had to go back and fight again.
5: Mm-hmm. It, it
6: didn't get passed, it, or didn't get read. But it, it, it took a good while for us to get it passed. And can you, when you say we went to Tallahassee, who who do you mean? What's a group was went to Tallahassee? Was it through the Farm Workers yeah. Association? Mm-hmm. Okay, and fought to get that bill passed.
5: And who, do you remember? Did you speak to your your senators, your... Yeah, your we, to, we, uh, we, we lobbied.
4: Despite all the sadness and suffering around her, Betty is able to keep her faith, and God remains a big part of her life.
6: When we go on we see God knows who's in those fields. You know who's in those fields. I know who's hard in those fields. When they 10 years old, they helped feed my sisters and brothers. And of
1: us. Working in the fields continues to impact Ms. Dubose's health today, and that of her family. Having two stillbirths, open-heart surgery, back problems, and a myriad of other ailments are consequences of farm work that are normalized on three separate levels. First, through lack of education, the belief that experiencing these hardships is a normal part of life. Second, resigning oneself to the fact that these illnesses are part of this field of work because for many farm workers, it is their only option for employment. And third, negligence or indifference on the part of the industry itself, ranging from the growers to distributors to consumers. Our final interview was produced by Brittany Hibbert with Marvelous Rogers on July 16, 2013. Marvelous Rogers' father was not only a farm worker, but held a specialized position as a recruiter who drove the bus out to the orange groves each morning. It was his job to fill that bus and ensure that the work would get done. Like Maria Ledesma, as a child, she felt self-conscious about his line of work and cannot stand the smell of oranges even today. Here, Ms. Rogers and Brittany share her story.
0: The farm work industry is comprised of workers from all walks of life. Workers can be African American, Hispanic or Latino, Asian or Caucasian. For the children of these workers, life could mean many things and can be filled with joy and laughter or pain and confusion. This is a story of one migrant child, her memories, her life, and her story. Marvelous Rogers, the migrant child.
7: My father's work—he was a fruit contractor, so he ran a crew um, with picking oranges, and that entailed him to um, pick up laborers from all over, and that meaning from Winter Garden area and Apopka area as well so he had crew members that were here and they would leave early in the morning and get home late at night
0: By retelling her story, Marvelous was able to see how important her father was to the Apopka community
7: My realization now that I'm an adult as a child I didn't see the importance of his role as a um, As a fruit contractor, of knowing that his everyday, you know, other kids might have had fathers that was doing other jobs. And my dad was, you know, the kids in the neighborhood had this slogan, work for Janet Bang, don't worry about a thing. You know, they used to tease or whatever. That was one of the slogans that I used to hear as this kid growing up. And I would laugh it off. But now as an adult and just saying that out loud, he had to fill the bus. That was a responsibility. And I'm looking at now him going to bed at night, he was probably wondering, you know, were those people going to be there when he went there in the morning time blowing that horn? Are they coming outside to get on this bus to go pick this fruit? Or, you know, am I going to have to get out there and do this myself? Am I going to be able to get this low? Because I know there's a hierarchy ahead of him that's wondering, are you going to, Janet Bang, are you going to be able to clear this grove out?
0: Marvelous, like other migrant children, was able to help her father with his duties. I will help
7: my dad sometimes sweep the bus off. Uh, I guess that's why I do not, I detest Oranges. I cannot stand oranges. And I just I guess because I smelled them all the time. And the street that I grew up on was Maxie Drive in Winter Garden and the juice plant was right there. Um and it's like a constant just smell. So I people say, You live in Florida, you don't like oranges? No, I do not. I do not. But yeah, I used to help my dad sweep the bus off. And every now and then, I'd get on the bus, and um, sometimes me and him would just
0: ride ride on the bus. Yeah. Marvelous, now an adult, takes full pride in her family heritage and is proud to be a migrant child.
7: So it's not like you carry this, this sign, but there's a connection. Because somebody else would look at me and say, You were a migrant? Yeah. Yes, I was. People in my community would know that. But if I stepped out of my element, nobody would know what. unless I shared my story. And I proudly said, yes, I was. That's me. That's where I come from. That's my history. And I would not change it for the world. Yes, that's me. I am a migrant. I am the seed of my dad being a migrant worker.
1: Today, Ms. Rogers expresses great pride in her father's hard work and ability to raise a family under such difficult conditions. She describes her outreach work with farmworker families and children to provide or facilitate access to health care and education. Through these podcasts, we can see examples of the particular difficulties that women face as farmworkers, from having to work in the fields and bear exposure to pesticides while pregnant, to the older girls in a family being expected to raise their siblings while their parents work. All three women grew up in farmworker families, and their experiences played a direct role in their later work in organizing to protect farmworkers' rights and improve access to education and health care. We all depend on the work of farmworkers, but we rarely hear about their lives. Recording and sharing these powerful stories through people's own voices is what makes oral history so important and so rewarding. We hope you enjoyed listening to this first installment of the Voices from the Archives series. Please stay tuned for more in the coming weeks. We'd like to thank our student interviewers, James Thompson, Clara Edwards, and Brittany Hibbert for their fantastic interviews, and our interviewees from the Farm Workers Association of Florida, Maria Ledesma, Betty DuBose, and Marvellous Rogers for contributing their stories to our collection. We are also excited to announce an upcoming all-new podcast series, Safe Spaces, which will launch later this fall. Safe Spaces explores the motivations, meanings, and context of the Safe Spaces members of marginalized groups build and the challenges involved in maintaining them. Safe Spaces asks these and other questions. What is a Safe Space? How have individuals and communities successfully created them? Who inhabits those Safe Spaces? Tune in for a sneak peek of our first episode next Friday, September 23rd. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proctor podcast series for more information about our program or interviews please visit our website at www.history.ufl.edu forward slash oral or call us at area code 352-392-7168 that's 352-392-7168